Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Oh, and it, it, it's the eternal return, PJ. Um, <laughs> this, sto- this story will not defeat us. We're going to do it. Who would have thought that the story we'd have the most trouble completing would just be a three-part extra? This is bonus <laughs> material, basically. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Like, That's what yeah. this is. This run of episodes since we finished the main run. This is all just bonus material. Oh, yeah. This is the, uh, you know, we're in uh, we're in the twilight years of a podcast, PJ. This is, we're just meant to be, like, putting our feet up and relaxing. Now. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we are we are sorry, everyone. Uh, um it's just been a, a right run of bad luck. Um, yeah. I, I thank you to to people who reached out to uh, wish us all a, a swift recovery after our recent uh, kind of health issues. But, you know, we're, what is it, PJ? We're, we're hale and hearty now. We're feeling invigorated. I'm one of those two things. I'm not sure which. But... You, don't hear, you don't hear hail very often now as like a descriptor. No, it's either a, a greeting or it's ice falling from the sky isn't it <laughs> yeah um well yeah we 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 could only um you know we we've we finished our course of leeches so now we can only describe our feelings in medieval qualifiers um but yeah we hail- had some trepanning done oh peter oh man it's all the rage kids these days and they're trepanning um but yeah so um thank you to everyone who checked in uh we are alive and well kind of tired but we're we're pushing ahead yeah, yeah. We, you know, we we have both have a lot going on at the moment, but you know, we're committed to you and to enjoying <laughs> these comics. Uh, we're committed to you. We're committed to uh, cutting edge comics reporting. <laughs> uh, and um, heck, I mean, you know, people have waited. What was it? Uh, Eighteen years for a review of this comic. So you know, yep. what's what's a what's a couple of weeks. Yeah, two thousand five. This is probably the most current comic. Oh no, the uh, the Superman Final Crisis was after this, wasn't it? Yes, in fact, you've got me there, PJ. I've got my I've got my facts up beside me. That was January uh, two thousand and nine. Okay, yeah. So that yeah. that was probably as current as this podcast's ever going to get. Just so you all know. But <laughs> mm. what were you doing in uh, March two thousand five, PJ? Uh, what was I doing? 2005. So I'm two years out of university, which means I am working in an ins- car insurance call center, oh. hating every second of it. Oh, PJ. Wow. I, I didn't know you'd, you'd, you'd had such an illustrious work uh, work history. Well, it it was a time when I was really trying to push on the creative side of my career. Mm. 
but I didn't have the money, the equipment, or the contacts to get anything any further forward than the planning stages. Yep. yep. Uh, I tried to put together a, a theatre group around that time with some friends, and they were very flaky, let's say, the <laughs> friends I had at that point for, in that sort of side of things. Um, and everything else I wanted to do, I just didn't have the equipment for, or the know-how in some cases. I wrote a few things which never saw the light of day, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a weird time where I feel like if I knew then the people that I know now and had the skills I have now, I probably could have had a slightly more lucrative creative career, let's say. Well, I think it's important to say that um, age is no limiter. Mm. Uh, you know, but you know, uh, you're raising a superhero right now, but in a couple of years, you yeah, know, time and energy are the limiters at the moment. <laughs> yeah, in a couple of years, when he's out kind of fighting crime, you know, like you're down, you're down in the PJ cave. Yeah, that's that's when the creativity will soar. Yeah, where but, where was where was a young John Locke in 2005? Where was a young John Locke? I think in 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 March 2005, I was coming to the end of my first year at university. I want to say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, oddly enough, I think I was actually actively collecting uh, the Grant Morrison JLA run around that time. Ah, okay. See, I had completed it by that point. Well, well, you did. You did have that slight edge on me, PJ. Into you started earlier. Um, Is this another PJ's an old man references? No, no, no. I was actually, <laughs> I was kind. Of, I was trying to bridge the gap to to showing some sympathy because I remember. Um, post-university being in a call center much like yourself and i remember being in that exact same situation and the kind of oh i don't know excitement coupled with frustration of knowing that like there's so much stuff i want to do creatively but i have absolutely i don't know anyone i have absolutely no idea where to start yeah i think also in 2005 i think i went to my first clever comic con oh yeah which was bristol comic con the um in its so sorry to anyone across the pond listening who doesn't know his convention uh the one that where back when it was in the big um train uh, yeah. hall next to the train station i can't remember what my first year there was if it was oh five or oh six well that was i def- just went as a punter yeah same here same here we could have crossed paths for all we know quite possibly yeah yeah i definitely went to a couple of times to that one just as a walking around guy and then i'm uh yeah, we did table in there, didn't we? Because that's that was when we met, when we were both tabling across the aisle from each other. I in, remember. In, in I remember. The, star- the... I, I remember staring at you, PJ, and imagining one day I'm going to do a podcast with that man. I like the look of that man, and I like the look <laughs> of his, the big fiery lion he's got on his banner. I'm going to buy his book. I think that's what happened to me. I I I I I I, I picked up your books, and yeah. uh, to this day, very funny, very entertaining. It's a great book. Another of my great unfinished works. Oh, get, oh get, yeah, but like. Oh man, I, I'm showing my I'm showing my lack of cultural awareness here. I was going to kind of reference some some great creator from history who had like an unfinished symphony. Didn't Beethoven have an unfinished symphony? Yeah, I think he and Mozart both did. So I mean, illustrious company. Oh, you're a good company. But, <laughs> Maybe but, they'll make a, an Oscar-winning film about me one day. The funny thing about thinking back to that 2005 Bristol Con, because mm. and, and what you said, PJ, about you know being kind of young and creative and not really having connections or knowing kind of like i guess how to get into that space yeah yeah um the funny thing is like uh like yourself going going to a, a, a uk convention 
in you know in Bristol and kind of seeing that there were people making independent comics if you will but like um you know and then of course we ended up in that space like a few years later and mm. and the the really funny thing is i i can vividly remember a lot of the comics that i picked up say in like 2005 2006 or 2007 because i went again each year um but by the time there was a gap of a few years and then by the time i started exhibiting i don't think any of them were still there yeah no that i i think the same i think the same i think i've still got i don't have all of them because that was back in the days where a lot of independent comics were still just people would print them at home and fold yeah. the paper up and and i i lost a lot of the ones i bought around that time um and but there there were then a few i think um there was only really one printer around that time that was before you had like rich at comic printing uk or um i can't remember what the other ones are called but there was one that uh, uh, there was a, a couple of cardiff based creators who called themselves monkeys with machine guns <laughs> and they used a one specific printer that anyone who had some money was using to print right and right. um yeah so there were a few people who used that and it was still then the fold up sheets of paper and then so I think there was then a, a climb for the independent industry with when all the other printers came on the scene and creators realized, oh, actually, I could do this and make it look good. Yeah, it, it's funny because, I, I, you know, you mentioning like comics being like folded and stapled piece, uh, think sheets of paper. Or maybe like if you were, you know, really, uh, I guess, kind of adventurous at the time, like a kind of saddle stitched, um, mm. maybe more like a floppy. Um, but you know, kind of like the the kind of like more professionally produced uh, graphic novels that were kind of we were seeing on 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 the scene, kind of like in from twenty eleven twenty twelve onwards. Uh, there was just none of that, mm. and um, I do think in a weird way we arrived arrived we 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 <laughs> arrived we you know we made our our we grand burst entrance. onto the scene we burst onto the scene around a time where there did seem to be some kind of technological revolution going on where. Yeah you know photoshop was suddenly a bit more readily available um printing was becoming just about affordable and of a good quality and there seemed to be this massive like spike in ambition and quality around that time where you know suddenly you know independent comics didn't look much different to things coming out of the big publishers i think it was also around sort of the time not the start of social media but when social Mm. media had really taken off so it was around when twitter had just become a thing it just become quite big and so it made made it much easier between twitter and facebook and i guess myspace at that time still um but it made it easier to connect with other creatives so it was easier to find an artist mm. reach out to them and say hey i love your stuff i've got this script you want to collaborate oh, 100%. And, and so i think that was when you also got this sort of melding of creative teams that you maybe wouldn't have a few years ago well, it is funny because I I think um, you know you've just you've dug another memory out of my the back of my head. Um, I think I remember it would have been maybe two thousand and seven because uh, I went to the Bristol Convention three years in a row while I was at university, and um, I think in the final year two thousand and seven I sat in on a panel where I believe one of the panelists was. Jamie McKelvey mm. or Mac- Mac- McKelvey, um, who some listeners will know from uh, 
certainly worked for Marvel, Young Avengers with Kieran Gillen, uh, designing Captain Marvel's modern day costume. Yep. Uh, but at the time, had a kind of indie breakout hit with Phonogram. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what Jamie, a comic. So Jamie McKelvey was very much like young buck up and coming. Uh, and then they had like a few like older British creators on the panel. And honestly, it kind of struck me even at the time as a young as a young young person that um, the mood of the panel was very defeatist. Like yeah. uh, generally, the young person up coming up, the old gargs were basically saying comics are kind of done. <laughs> uh, they're you know the industry. Nothing, there's nothing interesting happening. Um, and I actually, I actually, young naive person, I actually asked a question at the end, which was, I put my hand up and I said, "Is there any hope?" Like I, I remember saying that, which I think got a laugh out of out of people. Um, but it was very, very defeatist in 2007. And then, of course, 2008, Iron Man explodes onto the screen. Mm-hmm. Hey, and for better or for worse, you know, mainstream comics got a massive renaissance from that point. Yeah. And honestly, and the transformation was was astonishing. Like, uh, I guess in the following decade, you know, in the UK at least, um, you know, uh, things like uh, MCM conventions started, like, dominating the scene, like these massive pop culture events. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was very, very strange actually to realise we were kind of on the cusp of that. Yeah, what a weird time! What a weird time indeed. <laughs> wow. Sorry, terrible podcasting now because I, I'm literally just stroking my chin and staring into memory. <laughs> yeah, just... as, I, as I look wistfully out of my window <laughs> and think back to the the heyday of of well, what I consider to be the heyday, you know, because I made so many friends in those few years as well when we were doing the regular convention oh, scenes, yeah. you know, this is where I met you and Nick, uh, it's where I met Danny Abram uh, and Ian Matthews, who obviously they they sort of pivoted into more animation, they don't do comics really anymore, but that's you know, how I met them was through the convention scene, the Geek Syndicate guys, yeah, um, all these people, Sarah Millman, Sean Jefferson, who who I met through doing comics. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, and and it became a like I, I I'm sure you know anybody listening to this podcast, which is let's be honest, niche even by comics podcast yeah. standards. Um, I, I would say people listening to this probably understand the kind of special secret club feeling of of liking comics, which which for the longest time. That's kind of how it felt, you know. Mm. Um, it was very, it wasn't very out in the open, and then it, it there was kind of like a kinship around that, like you, you know, the whole geek culture thing and all that. Which, but I, but I remember like when we started making comics, and 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 you suddenly like you were behind a table, you were working long days, you you were putting something you'd made on the table in front of you to to sell to people. Uh, and you're surrounded by people doing the same, and and in a weird way, there was a tremendous sense of community that kind of appeared, just knowing that like everybody's here because they're passionate and creative, and that you all kind of care about the same thing. And even though you'd only see people like maybe six, seven times a year because it was only at these weekends at shows, if that, <laughs> yeah, if that, and even then, you see people, and you'd often just kind of like wave at them because you were too busy to really stop and hang out. Yeah. But it's like some of those people, I still count as some of like my my closest friends yeah. and, and connections. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah, same. Same. I feel like really the only 
place I know where you can still get that feeling and that spirit is Thought Bubble. Ah, Every year, yes. I feel like all the other conventions have either been bought up by the the big oh, American yeah. brands or MCM or whatever, or they've just been pushed out. Um, but at least we do have Thought Bubble. And it's it's great if you, you know, I can't get there every year these days, uh, but when I do go, it is great to see how many people are still just making their thing. A hundred percent. I think that's it. It's like the, um, yeah, I was chatting with someone the other day and we, we were, you know, I was, I was trying to impart some wisdom, <laughs> uh, you know, my limited wisdom about, um, you know, the idea of what, what does success mean? And, uh, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got is that um, success is being quietly excellent for years, mm. uh, which is something I really, really kind of tried to take to heart. And I, I think um, it's it's like the who's successful. And I think it's it's for people who are still around, you know. And yeah. I, I think that's a great thing about Thought Bubble is that you do go, you see these people and it's like, yes, everyone is still sticking at it, you know, not because, frankly, let's be honest, it's comics, you know, no one's getting rich off this, but it's yeah. like people are doing it because they're passionate, you know, and I think that's what kind of matters. Yeah, yeah, and I can't wait for the day when I can finally finish another comic and actually go to Thought Bubble and be behind a table again. <laughs> PJ, and, and you will, you will, it will happen. And it, hey, no, it, PJ- it will. It's It's been a few years now since Trolltooth Wars came out. Um, And the problem I had after that is I just got very busy and... Then the pandemic hit and my job, because at that time when the pandemic hit, I was working for a communications company that went insane. Everyone Mm. else got furloughed and my job got a lot busier because suddenly companies were using the communication companies. And then I got married, had a kid, bought a house, got made redundant and ended up in another job, which is crazy busy and exhausting. And it's just finding the time and energy to actually finish writing something now. Mm. Well, 100%. And I, I would maintain, though, that, you know, maybe this is semantics, but I think you are still there and you are still doing it. Because if you didn't care about these things, uh, you wouldn't be, in a, in, a, in a perverse way, feeling bad about not creating stuff. Yeah. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm still developing ideas in my head, which is part of the process of writing. So I'm still working on stuff. Mm. Oh, that's <laughs> what I mean. I think that's also why I'm doing these podcasts, this one with you and my, my other, the Star Trek one as well, Measure of a Fan, just because it's easier to sit down for an hour or two and, and just talk about something for a bit. And then I can carve that time out more easily. That's the thing, PJ. It's got it's, the, it, the, it's, got its hooks into you. Yeah. The, the creativity. That's oh, the thing. Yeah. It, it doesn't let go. Hey, never um, does never does speaking of um contemporary uh up to the minute uh comics reporting yes uh i don't know if i've mentioned on air pj but i have read book one of superman and the authority by grant oh Morrison. yes you mentioned you'd got it but you hadn't read it yet so yeah give me the dirt um it is a thunderingly weird book <laughs> um <laughs> Probably in every definition. Um, it, it, it's weird because there are elements of that Morrison weirdness, which I delight in. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because, um, frankly, I mean, well, to be honest, it's probably already a couple of years, you know, old now. Yeah. I think of it as a contemporary comic. But it's weird because I realise I have no idea what is going on in the DC universe at the moment. No. Like, uh, you pick it up and the, the general premise is that Superman is... Um, a little older 
you know, he's got the Reed Richards kind of grey around the ears. Um, and he is losing his powers. Okay. It, it feels very much like a an Elseworlds tale. Mm. But it's but as far as I'm aware, it is in canon. So I'm just going like, I have no idea what Superman's current situation is. Um, I'm trying to switch my brain off and just and just kind of go with the ride, you know, kind yeah. of just enjoy it as a book. And there is a lot to like. There's a lot of also kind of like, it, I would say it's not Morrison's best, but there are some fun elements in it. Yeah. I think the the presence of the authority is very confusing. Okay. Um, <laughs> because, um, you know, I, I used to read the authority. I know the authority of old. Um, I know that they have kind of been absorbed into DC continuity. Yeah. Um, it is very weird to have Apollo and the Midnighter running around in a Superman comic when the whole point is that they were meant to be analogues of Superman and Batman. Yeah, Apollo so, just is Superman, isn't he? Yeah, so they Morrison's added a kind of thing where Apollo definitely... Uh, hero worships superman like the idea that superman is very much like uh, apollo's idol and has kind of like informed apollo's entire identity as a superhero but i'm like but that's weird in itself because apollo basically is superman mm-hmm. um so yeah and and there are really weird kind of so so the basic premise is uh superman is losing his powers um they're is a weird connective thread. And I don't know if anyone listening is, you know, up to date with DC continuity, but we see Superman alive in like 1965, 66. Okay. Um, oh, sorry, my date's wrong. Anyway, it's in the 60s. He's talking to JFK. <laughs> and this isn't like alternate universe. This isn't like a, a flashback. Oh, it is a flashback, but it's it's like... It's our Superman, dressed like classic Superman, talking to JFK in the 60s. And then we cut to the present day, and he's now visibly older, but it's also still the same Superman. And it is also kind of 2021 or whatever. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. Are they saying that Superman is actually like 70 years old and isn't aging? I have no idea what's going on. Because I know that they did have... They did New 52, which was a reboot, but then they killed New 52 Superman yes. and had pre-Flashpoint Superman say he and Lois had just been hiding outside of reality or something. Yes. And so he comes back and is Superman again. So it's like post-crisis, pre-Flashpoint, 86 to whatever, 2000, whatever, Superman was Superman again in the current DCU, and I think is still Superman, the one yes. who's had Jonathan Kent. Um, yes, and obviously Jonathan Kent, son of Superman, has proved to be an incredibly popular character. Yeah, and so, rightly so. I'm, I'm all, I'm not reading the comics, but I am all for it. Oh yeah, no, and like the, you know, the Super Sons, you know, they've teamed him up with Damian Wayne. Um, it's a, fu- it's a fun new dynamic. I think it's mm-hmm. going, you know, it seems to be going very well for DC. But, but yeah, so we, we have like an older superman who doesn't entirely read like the superman from the pages of jla we're currently reading but at the same time morrison seems to like is a fun character um we're seeing a superman who 
with his powers fading, is stepping into more of a a kind of background role, like yeah. uh, using his super intellect. And he's, he's more of a Reed Richards kind of character, basically. Okay. And uh, is kind of um, leading the team from, from you know, back at headquarters, that sort of thing. But the, the weirdest kind of thing is, I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, but when DC didn't have the rights to the Authority and they wanted to do a story about the Authority, they created a team of analogues called the Elite. Yeah. So... This story, Superman and the Authority, should probably really be called Superman and the Elite, open brackets, but also kind of the Authority. (laughs) Yeah, but the Authority has better name recognition than the Elite, so Superman and the Authority would always sell better than Superman and the Elite. Hey, PJ, and you know, there's plans for a movie. There is, that's true. Gotta get get them back into the public consciousness. Yeah. But the, the weird thing is, is that the Elite were led by Manchester Black. Who was an immensely, oh, yes. an immensely psychic, very British man, an astonishingly British man, uh, who hated Superman. He was a Superman villain. Yeah, and he founded the Elite, and they were like ostensibly heroes, but they killed. So it was basically the Authority, and all because the Ultramarines. all the Ultramarines, who are also kind of the who are also kind of the Authority. Good grief! <laughs> I'm, I am amazed. Actually, Ultramarine characters haven't turned up in Superman and the Authority. <laughs> But how many versions of the authority does DC need? I mean, it's just greedy at this point. You do have to ask yourself, don't you? Because there was a new Fifty Two version as well. It had uh, uh, John Jones on the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so Manchester Black, just come with me on this journey for a minute, PJ. Manchester Black wore, uh, wears a Union Jack T-shirt. Yeah. The whole point is that Manchester Black was meant to be a DC analog, a le- legally distinct analog. Of Jenny Sparks. Yeah. Who was the leader of the authority. Okay, so the elite can only exist in a DC universe where the authority have never existed. But now with timey-wimey reboot continuity shifts and all that, Superman recruits Manchester Black to assemble a team which they are calling the authority to help Superman save the world from a coming threat. Manchester Black, who Morrison's having a lot of fun with as a counterpoint to Superman. You know, they're a very, like, odd couple. Manchester Black, now on the side of the Angels, goes to recruit a team. The people he recruits are, among others, uh, Apollo and the Midnighter. And Manchester Black has a line, these guys are the real deal. They used to run with the original authority. You know, Jenny Sparks and the Doctor. (laughs) <laughs> Jeez. What does that mean, PJ? What's going on? Oh, I don't know. Uh, do you know what's crazy as well about that? Is right. It means that Manchester Black made it into live action before any of the authority. Li- live action? He was in Supergirl, the TV show. Was he? Yeah, David Ajala from Star Trek Discovery played him in the Supergirl TV show. He appeared quite a few times. Oh my god, was he like was he super British? Oh yeah, David Ajala is. I I'm, I'm <laughs> so, not I apologize, I'm not familiar with the actor. Was it was he psychic? I can't remember what they did with him. Um I just remember seeing him. And that he had the Union Jack t-shirt and everything and a long black 
coat. But yeah, he was he was in uh, just looking on IMDb now. Seven episodes of Supergirl between 2018 and 2019. Crikey, it's very it's powerfully weird, PJ. Um, yeah. But there's uh, Natasha Irons running around as Steel. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other characters who don't. I like the Enchantress is running around in the team. Oh wait, hang like um, because there have been a few versions of the Enchantress. Is it the one with the big green witch's hat? Or yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and they're calling her uh, June Moon. Yeah, uh, the original. Yeah. Okay. So. That's yeah. I don't know. It's it's an odd book. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of new characters on the team who don't quite kind of write home. Um, uh, there's oh I don't know. There's Morrison seems to be having like a few kind of like wink wink nudge nudge moments about like modern internet culture right in it, and I don't know how much they kind of land. Um, like I, I I honestly can't tell if it's Morrison doing it like genuinely or trying to have a bit of a laugh at like that but i don't know it, 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 a couple of characters come across as a bit annoying and i can't work out if that's intentional or not um or they're meant to be a joke character yeah also i don't know how familiar you are with uh the video game overwatch pj i'm i'm culturally aware of it never played it or anything like that though Okay, well, the only thing I'll add is this might resonate with some listeners. Uh, there is a new character on the team called Omac. So a new Omac. Uh, <laughs> only they look visually identical to a character from Overwatch called Zarya. Okay. So much so that I'm like, this can't be a coincidence. It is basically the same character. So uh, has it got the Omac mohawk? They do have a... Yeah, they do have a mohawk. It's not quite as kind of... I guess pronounced because the OG Omac, but it's definitely a mo. It's definitely a mohawk. Okay, I am going to just look up this because I'm a big Omac fan. I love the original Jack Kirby Omac, and I actually really enjoyed the um, uh, Infinite Crisis Prelude, the Omac project as well. I thought that oh. was some really fun. Yes, because weren't they um, the o- weren't the Omacs kind of like a like a super hero like almost like sentinels in that like a kind yeah of sort of they were project. sort of um i think they were sort of dark blue all black with the eye in the middle of the chest but they still had the mohawk as well and it was it was quite cool oh yeah no she is she looks nothing like any omac i've seen <laughs> yeah it's, it's different and there's also a character in it called light ray who is giving me i don't know if we're meant to know who this character is or whether they've been introduced before but the character they most remind me of is um the Flash from Stan Lee's version of the Justice League. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you can remember how, yeah, yeah, how yeah. she looks. She got her powers from a hummingbird. Oh, did she? Oh, good grief. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, no, I've just looked her up as well. She does, doesn't she? Because yeah. Light Ray, that's a New Gods character, the original yes. Light Ray, isn't it? And there is some definite New Gogsy kind of stuff going on um do you know what you're kind of making me want to check out superman and the authority here john <laughs> i'm really curious it's i hey i know i know it maybe sounds like i'm being a little critical it is it is very odd um i still enjoyed it Wait, um i is, I th- it look is superman meant to be kingdom come superman maybe well this is what most people are saying i don't i don't think it is unless okay. he's meant to be a third superman who's running around i mean wow. 
I I think he's the Superman who is the father to Jonathan Kent, but I don't know. I don't do you know. know do you know what we need here? Yeah, a letter from Chris the Monitor Murphy. <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> please educate us. Um, yeah, the we, uh, we're, we're sorry. We're not okay with modern DC. Con- well, I'm not okay with DC continuity since the beginning of the new Fifty Two. To be honest, it, mm. it, so help. I um. Yeah, I, I I wonder if I would have I wouldn't be I wouldn't have found it so weird if maybe I had half an idea of what was going on in the DC universe. I think yeah. if you can just accept it as it feels like a weird Elseworlds tale, then there's a lot of fun weirdness going on in it. Yeah. Okay. No, I I think I might have to check that out. I will um see if I can grab volume one at some point. Hey, and volume two promises that they're going to War World. So that, <laughs> that could be fun. Do love a bit of War World and Mongol. Um, but yeah, PJ. So anyway, sorry. Thus ends the authority report with uh, with uh, with John. Um, should we talk about another authority analog? Go on then. Hey, uh, what are the Ultramarines up to, PJ? Oh, they've been defeated utterly and completely, and taken over by Gorilla Grodd and Nebulo. Uh, anyway, th- thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, appreciate your patience. Uh, <laughs> th- that has been uh, the Ultramarine Corps. Yeah. Uh, but no, um, they, uh, they, they, they're um, things be bad, PJ. Uh, the Ultramarines, uh, mind controlled uh, by an evil gorilla, and uh, now they're going to go destroy some, destroy some cities in in his name. Yep. But it's you know there, there's a slim hope because Squire got away and called Batman in for help, who has also recalled the Justice League from the infant universe of Quibblework, um, and. Uh, also then attacked Grodd and Nebolo with some Justice League robots. They didn't last long, but there was some cool fight scenes in it. Batman kicked a gorilla in the face, so what more <laughs> could you possibly want? Yeah, for all the uh, the promising of the covers, uh, those robots were really only in it for like a few pages. Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe not the issue one cover. No, in fact, actually, yeah. All three covers to this series have been vaguely misleading. Lies? <laughs> I didn't want to use that word, but yes. But entertaining lies. Exactly. And isn't that the real truth? Yeah, they're all inaccurate in some way. But, you know, there's a case to be made that that's, that is a proud legacy of comics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're very misleading covers. Um, obviously, uh, it's, it's the League, but not really as we know them. Uh, some familiar faces, uh, some unfamiliar faces. Obviously, John Stewart is in. Kyle is out. Uh, Aquaman has had a shave and uh, gained a magical water hand. Yes. From the Lady of the Lake? Is I believe hand? so, yeah. Yeah. And c- couldn't he do stuff? I'm just going to sound very stupid. Couldn't he do stuff with his hand? Like, didn't it have, like, special powers? Yeah, he could pick things up. He could press buttons. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they did, they relaunched a solo series of Aquaman for the first time in a while, um, a year or two before this uh, before JLA classified, and they leaned into the fact that he is King Arthur. Oh, 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 oh. Because he's Arthur Curry and he's King of Atlantis, so he is King Arthur. Oh, I never got that. Why didn't I get that, PJ? I didn't get it till this comic that I read, issues one and two, explicitly pointed it out to me, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, I thought he could... Because I, I think I read something once saying that like his his magic water hand let him 
heal people or something like that. Yeah, um, probably. Do you know what? Go- I, I miss the hook. I miss the hook as well. Did it go as far as like... Because there are certain continuities where in dealing with the Aquaman problem, which is basically like, how do we make Aquaman interesting? Um, hey, not not my words. Not my mm. words. Pe- some people have a problem with Aquaman. Uh, they've they've tried to give him more powers, like to say that like he's aquakinetic or something like that. Yeah, like can control water. He does a bit of that in the films, I think. A little I bit. I think of... he does. Yeah. 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 Don't they have a line about how he doesn't talk to fish, like he talks to the water, and the water talks to the fish, or something? Probably. I didn't Probably. pay that much attention. I didn't. <laughs> no, that's not fair. I did enjoy the first Aquaman film. I haven't seen the second one, but the first one is a romp. It's yeah. stupid. It's dumb, but it is fun. I will give the first Aquaman film that much. I had a really fun time watching that film. And gosh, it is. It's a, it's a state of where we're at, kind of with pop culture, that an entire second Aquaman movie came out, and I, I, it seems as though nobody actually watched it or cared. It had really bad reviews. <laughs> yeah. I heard there's definitely, I don't know how true this is. I, I'd heard that, like, you know, because of, you know, James Gunn coming on board, but also like films having like a really long production cycle, like they started work on Aquaman 2 before that, but it came yeah. out after that. And apparently Warner Brothers just decided not to promote the movie. They had like no interest in making a thing of it. Well, I think it will, didn't it also come out during like the actors' strike, so promoting things was quite hard. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, like they like people seem to like Jason Momoa. Maybe he'll stick around. Well, they're they're talking about even if he's. I think James Gunn has hinted that he's not going to be Aquaman in the new DCU, but they do want to use him, and there's rumours he's going to be Lobo. Oh my life! Wow. Well, indeed, the main man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like. You don't often get like a second bite of a cherry, but maybe I I would my my one piece of caution would be I I you know we're we're hearing things about how um Metamorpho's been cast um we're talking about Lobo oh Guy Gardner's in it yeah I would if it were me I'd I'd want to kind of not go too crazy on the number of maybe C list characters introduced you know I'd maybe focus just on the Magnificent yeah. Seven but you know he generally seems to know what he's doing. Hopefully. We'll see, I guess. And the Suicide the Suicide Squad is a very good movie. I still need to watch it. Oh, I'll find PJ, the time one day. PJ, you got to watch it. I know, Starro's in it. I need to watch it. Doesn't your child sleep like most of the day? No. God, no. <laughs> he is at an age where he does not do that. I don't know. I don't know anything about looking after kids. <laughs> I'm so sorry. He's nearly one, so... Oh, well, I mean... He's practically old enough to watch for Suicide Squad. Well, yeah, maybe. Okay, PJ, so uh, uh, super uh, mind-controlled superheroes, uh, uh, desperate stakes, uh, uh, the JLA returned. Uh, where are we at? Let's, should we dive back in? Yeah. So I love the opening of this issue, actually, because we open with like a news report yeah. of, of just a guy saying, here's what you do when a massive superhuman conflict erupts and just going through. Don't engage with the superhumans. Don't look them in the eye. They might kill you. And uh, don't riot and stuff. <laughs> I do love that. Like, avoid direct eye contact. They may be emitting x-rays and other damaging forms of radiation. <laughs> yeah. This is like, this is classic, I think, Morrison going... Okay, what's actually happening in the scene? Well, we've got a, you know, obviously a, a giant 
um, atomic sumo wrestler destroying a city. But also, like, that's not interesting enough for me. I want to throw in, like, a cool concept that could probably support an entire issue just mm. for a few panels. Yeah, no, definitely. The idea that in the DC universe they have this, like, when you get a broadcast or something like they used to do during an earthquake, things like that, but they've got it for superhuman battles. <laughs> um, it is it is absolutely delightful. Um, but but yeah, like uh, we are. Uh, we are, however, as we as we're getting this kind of um, broadcast, uh, seeing um, a giant atomic sumo wrestler uh, descending basically from orbit uh, like a meteor to to rain down on the city while while um, while reciting some some rather you know reflective poetry. Yeah, so uh, what dawn arrives before dawn in the morning of destruction, and. and- then he does destruction. <laughs> yeah, and um, the uh, uh, we see um, <clears throat> kind of doing like classic Hulk esque, like leaping. Yeah, uh, leaping from uh, kind of uh, building to building, causing all kinds of like mad destruction. Uh, you know, PJ, this is absolutely Goraiko. It was absolutely doing my head in. I couldn't remember this character's name. <laughs> Goraiko, yes. Um, yeah, it's leaping from uh, city to city, uh, from building to building, crushing uh, crushing everything, causing destruction. Sorry, I'll get my thoughts in order in a second. Uh, and now also reciting uh, kind of algebraic equations. Yes. Yeah, while pedestrians in the background are, are calling for help. And then we get our first member of the Justice League flying down. It's Green Lantern, John Stewart, my second favourite Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah, uh, 100%. Um my my favorite uh uh how should, how should I put this my favorite voiced green lantern yes yeah, yeah phil lamar does amazing work with the character in the justice league cartoon uh yeah uh john is my favorite green lantern on the screen kyle is my favorite on the page yeah no i think that's fair i think that's fair and that makes john my second favorite on the page and uh, and of course, uh, sporting uh, a version of his costume, which of course is very in line with the animated series. Given, yeah, they didn't because he used to just wear the classic Hal Jordan Green Lantern outfit, mm. didn't he? The same as the rest of the core. And then I think it was only after they gave him the new version for the Justice League cartoon that when he came back as Green Lantern in the comics, that's what he was wearing. Yeah, and I heard they they changed his hairstyle as well just to make him look more like the animated version because he was yeah. so popular. Yeah. Um and also PJ, um you're you're more of an authority on this than I am. Um his ring here is looking very much like Kyle's. Do you think that's just kind of artistic license? No, I believe Kyle um where, where was it? It was there was a point where Kyle sort of learned or was able to gift rings to other people. Oh. They did a whole mini series called the New Green, where he tries to start a new Green Lantern Corps in space. There's two part prestige format mini series, and the first person he gives a ring to turns out to be a tyrant. So then he has to recruit other people to be the new Corps to take his original choice down or something. Oh, of um, course. So I think when the the when it's Kyle who gives John a ring again. Because there's still no Green Lantern Corps, there's still no Guardians, none of that has come back yet. So this is very much Kyle bequeathing the Green Lantern title back on to Jon Stewart. That would make sense because, of course, the whole point was that, for the longest time, Kyle was the only Green Lantern. Yeah. Uh, and didn't he gain the moniker, before before this word took on new meaning for Green Lantern, didn't he gain the moniker of Ion for a while? 
because he yeah kind of like, yeah he had that in I can't remember I think it was during Ron Mars's run he became Ion and then of course they during the Sinestro Core War they brought back the Ion concept and changed it to be in line with some of the other stuff that was going on at that time yeah because like even though sadly greatest tragedy in in modern day storytelling that Kyle's kind of popularity has fallen uh he did hold a kind of special place in kind of lantern lore because he was basically like the torchbearer he kept the core alive when there was only one yeah um okay okay pj that that is fascinating that does kind of make sense why why john's ring would look like this yeah exactly and of course john also has a background in architecture so these buildings falling down he just builds scaffolding with his ring and i do like that you get a very different style of ring construct when John is wielding the ring to what you get with Kyle. And it, it it's a very sort of quick way of saying these, this is one of the differences between these characters. Yes, I like that. And frankly, I think that is... Um, I, I'd, I'd kind of rank that as like a measure of a good Green Lantern depiction. Is kind of mm. kind of trying to display their personality and creativity through how they use the ring, basically. Yes, yeah, exactly. Hey, but PJ, uh, you know, there might be many Green Lanterns, but there's only one Flash, right? Um... Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but, but Wally's on the scene, and um, he's he's uh, doing that thing that DC super speeders can do, where he's imparting speed to bystanders to keep them, basically keep their molecules spinning so that they're safe inside the blast. Don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and while he does so, he's he's sort of saying to John, you know, so Gorilla Grodd's hijacked a super team. What is it with him? And John's basically like, you tell me, and that's a hint of he's your villain, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't blame me. I didn't bring the monkey to the fight. Sorry, ape, not a monkey. <laughs> hey, but hey, PJ, you know, it's my favourite member of the Ultramarine uh, Corps, even though um, I kind of miss his old weird costume. Uh, it's for Master or Pulsate. I miss I, his old name as well. Yeah, I like Pulsate. Um, yeah. But he, uh, he's he got his cosmic keyboard out. Uh, and in classic, classic comics weirdness, he has edited the original floor of A Weakness to Yellow back into the ring. And uh, he's turned uh, John completely yellow from, from head to toe. And there's this brief Looney Tunes moment where John sort of hovers in the sky with this brilliant look of panic on his face and just goes, get out of here, and then starts (laughs) falling to the ground. (laughs) It's beautifully done. That is a wonderful moment from the art team. I I love two instances now where, uh, under Morrison's penmanship, uh, enemies have been culturally aware of the fact that there is a yellow floor. I'm thinking Mm. of like the, uh, the Hyper Clan trying yes. it and then Kyle just going like no wrong wrong ring you know yeah. nice nice try though <laughs> but luckily Flash is on the scene he falls John uh, he sees John falling and he goes to <laughs> while he's still imparting speed to other people tries to create an updraft to slow John's fall and also to cover John in dust and dirt so that he's no longer yellow and then John just flies back out of the cloud of dirt and knocks the master out with a punch and with the line yellow her ridiculous and ah oh, is brilliant it's such a good moment and i think that's 
you know, not to jump too far ahead, but that's really all John's going to get to do in this issue. But it's so good. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's 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 never give people what they want. You know, uh, launching a new JLA title. Let's have two issues with no JLA in it. And then let's just rock it through the team super quick in their in their one appearance. Um, Yeah. Uh, I how do you suppose Pulse Eight or the Masker's powers work? Like, I know John is currently covered in dusk, but like, do you think he's still yellow under there? Is he going to need to see like a a super doctor to get that fixed? Or, well, I think it's just Pulse Eight can change reality, but physically he's still like he doesn't have the extra durability that some of the other members of the Hyper Clan do. So I think this is just John, who is an ex-military guy as well just punching him oh, <laughs> but no, at speed no, my, so my, I think he's he's down and unconscious and it doesn't matter what colour he is underneath ah but you see PJ this, but my, it's more my question of has John now kind of like picking up a a, a wound in, in battle is he now just perpetually yellow oh that's a good point yeah no no I reckon um, at the end of the story probably just got this got undone sure sure or uh, you know maybe uh, we go for classic uh get out of jail free card with uh reality warping characters when you punch yeah. him in the face the effects end yeah exactly yeah yeah you can't you know can't make him too powerful <laughs> uh and then we cut to um the invisible plane with uh wonder woman and aquaman flying into battle yes yeah and wonder woman telling us that uh she's going to clear the decks and disable the station this is the superbia uh, Superman has the tower, and Garaiko's operator is sedated on level ten, high security. Aquaman has to go for her, and Aquaman just says, "I love it when you bark orders at me, Diana." And as Wonder Woman leaps out of the plane, she just says, "I've heard that about you, Arthur." <laughs> is that something we want to dwell on, Grant? Like maybe? No. Okay, moving on. Well, there was um, in the Mark Wade run they did start hinting at a potential attraction and relationship between Aquaman and Wonder Woman. I think even... um, It's funny, I think even uh, Morrison touched on that. Like, um, yeah, in, uh, I want to say, the original Ultramarine core appearance, uh, doesn't Arthur have a weird moment where he's suddenly very concerned about Diana's safety? Yeah, and then I think Wade sort of took it and went a bit further with it during his run. Hey, and then, you know, if you carried on collecting the series during the Joe Kelly run, they definitely lent more into a Batman versus yep. and, uh, and Wonder Woman relationship. Well, there's a whole issue where they resolve it, don't they? Where they sort of do some kind of weird virtual reality thing to see how a relationship between the two of them would play out and then decide, let's not do that. Oh, I, I haven't actually seen that one. Um, yeah, just, just a one-shot issue, I think, um, where it is very much a resolving that thread. I do remember um, there's a fun storyline where, just as a background plot, uh, Bruce invites Diana on a date, and then because he gets nerves, he just goes and fights crime instead. <laughs> oh, Bruce. And then, he, and then he's like uh, apologising. He's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry. I probably could have sent Dick, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey, so uh, Wonder Woman uh, leaps out of uh, the invisible jet, uh, carrying her Wonder Woman branded shield. And um, yeah, I mean, how often does a Wonder Woman branded shield pop up? I don't, I don't know. Um, and leaps down to face uh, a bunch of, of of villains because you know, despite the obvious superiority of being to fl- of being able to fly both you know by yourself and in your jet, um, 
you should probably always just stop and go punch some people. Well, are they villains? It's Vixen and Fleur, and Vixen is certainly an ex-JLA member at this point. Yes, and... I don't know anything about Fleur. Fleur de Lis, I assume. Fleur de Lis uh, was, I think, in Justice League International. That would make sense. And also pops up in Superman and the Authority. There you go. <laughs> kind of unrecognisable to this version, but they're in it. I do like that she has swords shaped like a fleur-de-lis. That's quite fun. <gasps> oh, she does, PJ. I never noticed yeah. that. Uh, French super spy, I think. Okay. I th- I, that's all I know, basically. Yeah, and obviously Vixen, Vixen had a lot to do in the Justice League cartoon, so... Maybe that's why Morris. No, because she was. Yeah, she was at the end of the Ultramarine Corps with the Ultramarines already in that story, wasn't she? But, there you go. Way yeah. back, way back when it was all planned. Um, but hey, um, I wonder how Batman's doing. I think he might be medium rare by now. Batman is being roasted on a spit by Gorilla Grodd. It's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but Grodd's. You know, boasting, gloating while he cooks him. He's pouring oil on him while he roasts him over a fire. He's he's basting him, basically. (laughs) Yeah. And he talks about how once humanity has fallen, Batman and his kind will live on in ape legends as savage monsters, demonic oppressors overthrown by Grodd. And he's like, I'm going to eat you bit by bit. um, And I want them to find you limbless and broken, hanging in my larder with the rest of the meat. That's some grim stuff for what is ostensibly a comic that a kid could pick up back in 2005. <laughs> um, and I think also, like, this is a classic uh, villain monologuing kind of uh, issue. Um, I know they... Uh, oh, didn't um, Jack-O-Lantern comment in a previous issue that, like... I don't know. I don't know if this is, like, a throwaway comment or something to be taken seriously, but maybe Grodd is on drugs at the moment. Yeah. And uh, he's maybe, like working himself up into the necessary drug frenzy needed to really enjoy this? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But he, he roars and brings his mouth over Batman's head and then does a little bit more monologuing. Uh, and then he hears noises behind him, so turns to look. And then he is from behind him again, Batman just saying, Grodd, turns around again, and Batman is now free, has decked a couple of apes, and is throwing batarangs at Grodd. Yes, uh, it says, I've killed apes before, don't tempt me. And then I believe punches Grodd uh, uh, heftily, shall we say, in the groin. And just goes, there goes the dynasty. Yes. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, and Grog's face here, like, um, kudos to Ed McGuinness. Like, if you ever got the, uh, you know, the instructions come through via email saying, please draw the facial expressions of a gorilla who's just been kicked royally in the groin. Yeah. Does a good job. (laughs) Does a good job. (laughs) <laughs> it is excellent if i if i have one criticism of this page it is a little bit unclear i think from the moment where grod goes to eat batman's head to then batman being free exactly what's going on i know we get a little explanation later on but i, I don't know if maybe a couple of extra panels would have helped here. yeah i and I, I think particularly when you do get that that explanation in a bit like it, it is tempting i think i went back and was like oh did i miss something did i yeah yeah, was there something I didn't pick up on? And I, I I, didn't. So, yeah, I don't think it was anything to pick up on. It It does... I guess we're just, like, you know, meant to assume that through the wizardry of, of Batman being Batman, uh, you know, mere, yeah. mere panel layouts cannot contain him. <laughs> uh, but, hey, from, from, from Batman 
punching a, a, a gorilla in the groin to orbit PJ. This this comic has everything. Yeah, and someone I, these bits here where it's like Jean stop Garaiko at all costs. I'm assuming that's Batman barking orders in Jean's head. I guess so. Uh, it's never clear, but that it makes sense to me. And Jean is hovering above the world, and it's, he's basically trying to find Goraiko, and he says, I have him, but my Martian senses tell me he's not alone. And standing on a satellite above Jean <laughs> is Olympian, otherwise known as Aristides Dimitrios, the disgraced schizophrenic Superman of Greece. Uh, yes, I believe formerly of the Global Guardians. Yeah, I think I so. I would say. Um, my only knowledge of his character is that I have seen an image of them standing as part of the cast of the Global Guardians. That there is you it. Go. But he throws a discus at Jean's back and knocks Jean back down to earth into a mountain. Yes, and uh, we will we will come back to this in 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 a minute. Um, yes, but uh, man, I wonder where the big I wonder where the big blue is. Where uh, the big the big blue cheese is. Uh, <laughs> well, we've got Nebula or Nebula, uh kind of standing on the top of a building. Uh, he's got big final boss energy as he goes, Come then, which of the legendary champions of this age will be the first to fall at my feet? Send your world's finest. And then we just get Superman uh, racing forward with a very angry face uh, through the rain. And Red just... eyes, the heat vision's ready to go, and his muscles are bulging because he's being drawn by Ed McGuinness. Yes, and uh, I mean, what little we know about Nebula the Huntsman is... Uh, He's here to pave the way for the Shida. Um, he's here to strike down teams of seven. Uh, I can't help but think he picked the wrong fight here because yes. it's, it's Superman, my dude. <laughs> it is. It is. But we don't get to see that yet. We cut back to Jean, who's being stabbed in the back by Olympian, who's got a big old spear. And he shouts, die, Marsh, and die, and pins Jean to the ground. This is die alone as a volcano erupts nearby and far from home. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know much about Olympian, you know, the, the, the superhero. Um, I appreciate that the story required that Jean be taken down at this point. Um, he is Jean, though. You know, I'm like, who is who is this, this E-lister to kind of take <clears throat> take down, you know, Jean? Yeah. He's a, he's a he's a mighty fellow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just left Jean to be burned alive by lava in a volcano, which is, you know, that would do it. That probably would that probably would do it. Um uh but of course, you know, the stakes are high. We have um Superbia, uh kind of um you know, the giant floating city moving across the ocean. We have fighter jets uh kind of intercepting it. Um and uh, and you know, and now we have Batman, who's basically chained up Grodd and hung him upside down to uh, keep him out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. He says your accomplice has betrayed you. The Justice League is here. The real League, which means Black Death fails you too. Now be good, or I do irreparable things to your spinal column. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Grog's are like, well, come on, man. I mean, like, you know, I know, I know, I was monologuing, but how did you get out? I had you tied up. And um, yeah, exactly in those words as well. Uh, Batman's like, I had help. When you trashed Warmaker Wong's jet suit, you overlooked Scott Sawyer, its disembodied pilot. And we can just see like a very faint outline of a ghostly figure saying, Batman, be- beware. Batman, beware. I guess in like yeah. a ghostly voice. Um, 
I don't know how how Scott Sawyer's ghost form is meant to work, PJ. Can he untie ropes? I don't know. I'm not sure. That's why I would have liked a couple of extra panels on that page, or maybe even a, a flashback here to what Warmaker did to release Batman. But yeah, you know, he's that we we did say you know he's only trashed the suit back in the first issue. Yes, and that there's more to him than that. So here he has demonstrated it. Well, and and given that we've had. I mean, really, like across this and their previous appearance, we've had so little time with yep. Warmaker in any printed media that we we just know so little about how his powers work. Yeah. Um, now, again, flipping back to the previous issue, I think there is a kind of blinking, you'll miss it. There is appearance, like a little ghostly form. But I guess we can assume that he can exert some some influence on the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, sorry, I was I was looking up a reference, so I lost my place. But uh, hey, you know who do you send to fight Batman? You send knockoff Batman. Yeah. So Knight and Jack O' Lantern are here, ordering Batman to release Grodd and join them or die. And immediately you're looking at this, going, "Well, this isn't a contest. <laughs> you two don't stand a chance." <laughs> I feel so sorry for Cyril. I like Cyril, but. Me he's too, well aware. But... He's not. He's not. Re- he's not the true Batman. No, he's no. Neither of these guys are, are anything like Bruce Wayne when it yeah. comes down to the final analysis. Yeah, and I think even, yeah, Jack. Jack, what are you doing here? You're not even a. You're not even an analog. You don't have the ears. <laughs> yeah, but we cut from there to the invisible plane flying over Superbia, and Aquaman has apparently leapt out of it into flow, uh, and just bursts out of him, discorporating him completely. <laughs> Yeah, poor poor Flo doesn't get a lot of airtime in this uh, in this story. To be honest, not many of the Ultramarines do, um, really. Especially this issue. This issue is more the Justice League are here. Let's focus on them. Yes, it's actually funny that the original of the original core members, I think um, 4D and Flo get quite kind of short change. Fra- yeah, frankly, they do. Even Warmaker. I think Morrison clearly was having fun with Pulse Eight or the Master, so they get a lot of time. And the knight gets a lot of time as well. Yeah, you see, and that that's kind of the weird thing in itself, because Morrison clearly loves Cyril and Beryl. But like, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's kind of weird that like when we've already, we don't know these characters especially well, Morrison just adds a ton of new ones as well. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> great moment as well here with Aquaman me being confronted by the Olympian who's smiling really cruelly. As he says, I left the Martian burning. You, I will drown. And Aquaman just says, you hurt Jean? That was stupid. <laughs> also, like, does the Olympian have some kind of death wish? Because, you know, he's like, oh, man, I'm going to choose a deeply ironic form of defeat for each of you. And it's like, come on, my dude. Like, really? You know? And to me, I, I love the way Morrison writes Aquaman as well. This is exactly the same as uh, Aquaman in Earth 1 isn't it? Where people underestimate him and then he just beats them up. <laughs> yeah, uh, wait, wait, Earth 1 or Earth 2? No, in the the Earth 1 graphic novel where he... Uh, Earth 2, yeah, sorry, Earth 2 graphic novel where he... <laughs> punches uh, powering. Punches powering out, one of my favourite moments of all time. <laughs> yes, because it's so brutal and, yeah, I mean, having a powering would make you pretty tough, but, you know, if you shoot, if you shoot a hook through someone's forearm... That's going to ruin their day pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but then we cut back from there to Wonder Woman, who's now also got Kid Impala and Tasmanian Devil to deal with, but she's already smashed one of Flerdely's swords, and it's just not going well for the Ultramarines, because this is Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, 
they're, they're being mind controlled, I guess. But like, you'd hope someone would have some self-preservation to just go like, can I just, can I pull a grifter? Can I just sit this one out? Like, please. <laughs> yeah. But no, like Vixen sister kid in parlor together because he's got super speed i think yeah i don't know uh, but wonder woman still leaps out the way and kid in parlor takes vixen out instead <laughs> yeah and um uh she uh, wonder woman backflips over tasmanian devil's head um i have to say not massively familiar with the character no, but no, me neither. she um lassoes him with the uh lasso of truth well, before she backflips over him, she punches Fleur de Lee out as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as I'm aware, Fleur, Fleur is just like pretty, like, like kind of strong, kind of fast, pretty good of a sword. You know, Wonder Woman is like Superman class. Yeah. You know, I think I would take her head off. She must have been pulling her punches. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Lasso's Tasmanian Devil... Uh, compels him with the power of truth to show his true nature and turn on his teammates. Yeah, yes, which is which I, I like as a way of as a use for the lasso. I think it, you know it's it compels you to be true to yourself and tell the truth. So she uses it to not entirely override the mind control, but to let him follow his true nature. There is a fun moment. Uh, from the Joe Kelly run, where it's obviously a very weird incarnation of a team, where you've got Major Disaster and Manitou Raven and such. There's a fun story where, due to the machinations of some villains, uh, the you're led to believe that the Justice League are responsible for like um, killing like a school full of children. Yes, I remember that. And there is a good moment where Superman believes he's guilty of mass murder and has willingly sent himself to be arrested. And Wonder Woman just lassoes him and asks him to speak the truth. And there's just a great moment where you just see his eyes open. He goes, it's like, hang on. <laughs> hang on a minute. No one died. I didn't kill anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the storyline where it's like a far right hate group or something? Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, featuring. No, wait. No. Yes. Yes. Featuring. There's a character who appears in that story, PJ, who also appears in Superman and the Authority. There you go. <laughs> we got it all, everybody. We got it all. <laughs> and then, uh, but now Wonder Woman has has dealt with them. We cut to a brilliant page where its panels alternating between Batman fighting the Knight and Jack O' Lantern. Well, I say fighting, kicking their asses, and Aquaman kicking Olympian's ass. And it's just it's almost dialogue free for the first load of panels, and just just beautiful action shots of the Ultramarines losing. Yeah, and I guess it is a testament to maybe how much Batman respects Cyril even though he's kind of kicking his ass that like he knocks Jack-O-Lantern out and then takes the time to kind of talk to Cyril even though he's already kicked him in the face. Well yeah but what he says isn't very nice. He's like a little rusty since that coma they brought you out of. <laughs> I think that is Batman being nice. Well yes true maybe. <laughs> I, I, it, it, you know it's, it's, it's very very tough love but I, I think this is bordering on on him being supportive here yes hey but then uh guess who's got a flying saucer uh it's beryl uh <laughs> she rushes in and also i do you suppose pj that the flying saucer is hovering here or that it's actually rocketing past at like 100 miles an hour and she just I, said everything very quickly i think it's rocketing in and it has really good brakes <laughs> i guess she has opened the dome um yeah uh 
But yeah, so uh, she shouts through the window and goes, you know, whatever's got hold of you, you've got to be stronger. Like he was with the booze and the drugs. Cyril, you can't fight bloody Batman. He's your hero. <laughs> and um, yeah, kind of like uh, 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 Bruce having a go at Clark at the conclusion of World War Three. You can see that, you know, the, the annoyance, the, the struggle on uh, um, Cyril's face as uh, he breaks three of the mind control. Yeah, he pulls the sheeder off his neck as it's trying to order him to kill her, throws it to the floor, and then stamps on it. Uh, yeah, no no killing unless it's fairies. Fairies are fair game, yeah. Yes, fairies can piss right off. Uh, <laughs> uh, but hey, uh, uh, Wonder Woman uh, has uh, blown up the, uh, the engine core of Superbia, which thankfully is above an ocean this time, so if it's going to fall down, uh, it will only make a bit of a splash. Um, but there's still an issue with Goraiko, who is, I, I hasten to remind everyone, an atomic-powered sumo wrestler who is currently just aimlessly bouncing about around the globe, destroying planets. I think destroying you... planets? What's wrong with me? Destroying <laughs> cities. Did you also skip the pages with John? And Yeah, you did. You turned two pages at once, John. What? No. What? No. No, I didn't. Well, we've got the invisible plane taking out Superbia. Yes. Jean reforms and Superman battling Nebula Man. Yes, I was still covering that. Oh, okay. Sorry, you jumped to Goraiko. I thought you'd skipped ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I was. Poff, Peter, you had me. I was suddenly terrified to think that we were reading like different versions of the same book, and there were extra pages. No, uh, I just, sorry. I just didn't follow where you went. That's no, what happened. I do apologise, Peter. Yes, yeah, sorry. Wonder Woman describing that uh, Goraiko is four hundred miles east of London and closing. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, as she takes out the core of Superbia, and then. She reaches out to Jean, who's in lava, but he battles through, takes his form, and he's off to stop Goraiko, because he's a hero. Yes, what did uh, what did um, Prometheus call him after he f- stopped his molecules forming? Like Scourge of the Underworld or something? Like Slime slime Boy? World's most powerful puddle of goo? Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, yes, yeah, so the world's most powerful puddle of goo makes an appearance here. <laughs> But then he reforms into Jean and flies off, and then we cut back to Superman battling who he's calling Nebula Man. Which uh, is canonically accurate, I suppose, because Nebula Man has previously battled the Seven Soldiers of Victory, but not that Seven Soldiers of Victory, the original Seven Soldiers of Victory. Yes. So if there are any Justice League files on this character, Superman would know him as Nebula Man. Uh, But he's punching him, and as he asks what he is, and uh, Nebula Man says, I am the seed of evil, Black Death planted, bore fruit in me. Uh, I am Nebulo, the adult universe of Quobobobuk. <laughs> and everyone, I'd like to remind you that PJ is our resident authority on pronouncing... Not that one. Five, ...five-dimensional <laughs> names. Not that one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he, he blasts Superman in the face or the chest with his Nebula vision, I suppose... Uh, to which uh, Superman just takes it like a champ and says, so you grew up a time-travelling bully and came back. I'm sorry, but not as sorry as you're going to be. And he... Yeah, it's one, of, it's one of those classic villain moves where all it does is burn up Superman's cape. Yeah, yeah, even though he takes it in the chest. And uh, yeah, um, Superman, you know, I kind of like that he's apologising in some way that like, I guess they couldn't stop our universe quick growing up to be evil but um he's not sorry enough that like he's going to tolerate a bully so yeah punches him in his stupid face 
and then this feels a little unsuperman to me puts his foot on his throat uh well it's it's a small panel pj maybe he's like um checking his pulse making sure he's okay with his foot with his super foot senses he's superman okay. pj i'll accept it <laughs> uh and then in classic mo- in classic uh, you know, you haven't seen the last of me gadget. Um, I'll get you next time. Nebula, Nebula goes. I have seen enough. I have tested my prey. When next my people come, it will be as whispers of death, unseen. Goodbye, Superman. And I guess yep. he fades out. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a second, won't we? Because now we cut to Jean trying to intercept Goraiko, who's still doing poetry and equations. And Jean realizes it doesn't have a mind he can reach, and then it just disappears. And Jean says, "Ah, oh, thank you, Aquaman, just in time." And Aquaman has reached Goraiko's host controller, who's woken up and is speaking to him in Japanese. And, and Aquaman just speaks back in Japanese. Indeed, yes. Because um, I guess Aquaman is really good at languages. Yeah. I mean, we know that he 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 learned English. Exactly. Yeah, we saw so we saw it in year one. So. <laughs> Uh, we have Superman, I guess, kind of clutching a shimmering mass of stardust, which is rapidly disappearing. So I guess we can just assume that Nebula has has pieced out, basically. And uh, Superbia uh, crashes gently down into the water. Uh, you say gently, it crashes onto the rock of Gibraltar and causes a tidal wave, but flashes there, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I got it." <laughs> I I didn't want to I didn't want to embarrass my geography. I thought that might be Gibraltar. Uh, but you know, I, I'm glad you confirmed. Oh, he actually says the, it. The dialogue yeah. says it. I oh. don't know what. <laughs> I'm not that good. Hey, but but thankfully, Flash is on hand to stop a tidal wave. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it. Mission complete. JLA win. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It, it's it's not an especially uh, triumphant ending. It's it's raining. You know, there's a, there's a big uh, there's a big element of uh, you know, daddy's home and he's angry kind of thing as uh, Superman uh, chastises a bunch of apes. Yeah, and and boy, doesn't this ring true for today. You were led astray by a cunning manipulator, a bunch of dumb slogans, a few bananas, and you belong to anybody, it seems. God, that resonates. Yeah, man. Um, Possibly more today than it did in 2005. Where's Superman when you need him? Crying out loud. Um... But yeah, he's he's not angry, PG. He's uh, he's just very disappointed. He says, "You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. You will be returned to your own people for punishment in Gorilla City." And uh, yeah, but for Grodd, um, the punishment is a bit more severe. Um, he's he's going to the Phantom Zone, apparently. Yeah, and then Superman, still angry, turns to the Ultramarine Corps and says, "And as for you." And Tasmanian Devil's like, this is a public relations nightmare for us. I mean, it's it's still weird to me that, like, as we're getting to the end of this story and you see, like, the entire assembled Ultramarine Corps and I guess, like, a bunch of, like, nameless extras because, I mean, they said at one point there were, like, 30 superhumans or something like that. Um, It's still, like, they're giving lines to Tasmanian Devil. You know, I'd be like, why not? Why not flow or or four uh, D or something like? But is four D even on this page? I don't think she is. No, they're not. They're not. I mean, you've got. Uh, I guess you know you had to make room for like Kid Impala, I suppose. Oh yeah, he's he's vital. He's vital. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 
and uh you know uh warmaker one you know trying to escape escape the facts kind of coldly like look you know we were being controlled by mystery cosmic neuroparasites uh to which jack says well that that's probably not going to hold up in court basically and then superman just says you were a disaster waiting to happen superheroes who don't mind killing to achieve their ends can be dangerous in the wrong hands if it hadn't been for the bravery of the squire who knows what might have happened and he basically says you know people come back from the dead all the time it's no object to our enemies and some of the punishments we've come up with over the years execution would be real easy Mm. yeah um points out that these these no not so air quotes these no nonsense solutions of yours just don't hold water in a complex world of jet-powered apes and time travel what i love here is it's sort of like you get this grim grown-up version of the dc universe this authority analog who who kills and everything and superman basically having to say to them this isn't right at the same time in the same speech bubble that you get him talking about jet-powered apes and time travel and it's just the ridiculous and the sublime in one place. Yeah, and 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 I guess kind of like not to read like too much into it, but you know when you think that like the classic thing that's the classic thing that happens to superhero comics over years is that they quote unquote try to grow up, they become yeah. more gritty, they start killing, you know, everyone starts wearing black, um, and it's just like a fun small moment. You know, it's not earth shattering, but just for Superman to say, look, you know. You want to be really grown up, you know. We 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 literally have apes and time travel and like, you know, um, thieves from the the seventy third dimension and stuff like that. It's like killing is actually very immature, you know. You want to be grown up, you've got to think a little bigger. That's the thing with comics, isn't it? You always find that when they, not always actually, sorry, but when they try to be grown up, they just get more childish. I think. In my opinion, Zack Snyder is the ultimate version of that. He's like, yeah. oh, I'm doing grown-up Justice League, and it really is a child's idea of what grown-up is. I agree. I agree. And I think there's, you know, I think it's something that Morrison has kind of made a career on, is that, like, this is really the, this is the theatre of ideas, and, you know, there's something, there's nothing more wonderful than coming up with a big, stupid idea to solve a big, stupid problem. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's ultimately all stupid deep down, but there's magic in that. Um... And I do also like BJ that even though Superman is deeply disappointed, um, he's not. Yeah, I guess he believes in second chances because he puts yeah. a hand on Knight's shoulder, which is very touching. Yeah, as he says to them, there is a growing universe that needs a strong guiding hand to keep it on the straight and narrow. You have big ideas, start small. As you get a close up then of Squire gulping, and then another close up of Batman winking at her. <laughs> A nice little smile on Batman's face. You know when there's a sm- a slight smile on Batman's face that you've done something right. Uh, we get a boom. Um, Earth is only a loud noise away, PJ. Yep. A- as we cut to... Well, it's home, isn't it, PJ? It's our, it's our miserable universe. Uh, yeah. A.K.A. Quek. And we just get like a... Well, we get like a a, a, a a rolling, like a kaleidoscope of miserable images of bombs going off, of executions, of drugs, of violence, of corruption, of tragedy. Uh, and then we see uh, some familiar faces. Yeah, dressed in sort of civilian garb or as much as you can be when you're a, a 
a walking jet fighter suit and whatever Pulse 8 is. <laughs> and they're just saying a, a doomed micro-Earth in an infant universe with no such thing as superheroes. And Warmaker 1 says, this should be interesting. The end. Hey, uh, and uh, I, I would say it, it's, a, it's a very small moment, but this is a reflection of an idea that Morrison has returned to time and time again across across their body of work. Uh, I would say maybe perhaps most notably in Flex Mentalo. Um, the idea that like every universe has heroes. Yeah. Our universe is the oddity because it doesn't. That's a shame. I wish it did. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is Morrison believes very strongly in superheroes as a concept. They, they were, they're bigger than the bomb. And uh, as silly and colorful as they are, they, they represent just a desire to save people. It's quite a noble archetype in itself. And yeah. So, so are we, are we to take away from this PJ that in our universe right now, the Ultramarine Corps are out there kind of working from the shadows? I mean, You'd hope so, but I feel like if they were, they should have stopped some of the stuff that's happened. So. Yeah, and also, like, uh, there's a gap here because when next we see Cyril, which is literally only a few years later, uh, he's back on, he's back in the DC universe and he's meeting up with Batman to go to a haunted manor murder mystery yeah, thing. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I've only read that story once and I have no memory of whether they even mentioned this. There is literally no mention of the infant universe of Quek. I guess when we next see that, it is in Seven Soldiers of Victory. There is no mention. Oh, wait, no, PJ. Okay, no, one very small mention. Um, in the conclusion of Seven Soldiers of Victory, spoilers, uh, Nebula is undone. And one of the characters says, you, you were doomed a long time ago miniaturized superheroes from our world entered you and they instilled in you like a flaw or something which in nebula's case is a is a seed of goodness which kind of corrupted him uh so i guess we can assume the mission was successful yeah Uh, and then when next we see cyril um you know there's a murder mystery going on and another character says well how do we know that cyril isn't the murderer did you hear that on his last adventure he got mind controlled by a gorilla there you go to which somebody defends him and says, well, sure, hasn't everybody been mind-controlled by a gorilla? Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's just being a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there we go. That's it. We finished the Ultramarine Corps. We did it. We did it. We finally did it. Yeah, despite despite all logs and despite what they said, despite what the haters said, PJ, we did it. <laughs> what do you think of the issue? So I, I do really like it. I think issue two is my favourite issue. I agree. Because I think issue two is the one that's best paced. I think there are two moments in this one that could have done with, as you say, a couple of extra panels and expansion, and that's how Batman escapes from Grodd and turns the tables. And then I think as well, the fight with Superman and, and Nebulo, I had to go back and relook at what was happening there the moment when Nebulo f- fires his nebula vision at superman and it lights up the superman symbol and everything i had to look at that three or four times to work out wait what's actually happening here i'm not sure oh and if i could submit a third example uh i think uh jong's fate or in the volcano yep could have been expanded upon originally because uh, a little bit because um you know when when we see olympian kind of i guess kind of impaling him uh, it is almost like a blink and you'll miss it moment 
that that volcano is erupting in the background. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. See, I don't know if between issues one and three, there's enough things you could expand on slightly to get a fourth issue out of this story, or if that would be too much. Probably would. So I think it is Morrison had to try and fit all this stuff into the three issues. But I think issue one, I think, suffers from it a lot worse than issue three does in terms of there's there's stuff that could have been expanded. But it, I think issue three just needed a few extra panels here and there, maybe, to make a couple of a couple of moments clear. But that is my one very minor criticism of issue three. No, I I, I would agree in that, and I I think um, this is once again kind of self inflicted by Morrison. They they, you know, are never short of ideas, and uh, once again they're they're packing a lot in here. Um, I agree with you. I th- I think the second um, issue is my favourite. Um, as you say, mostly because it is slower and there's just a lot of really nice moments. I mean, if you'd picked up uh, this expecting like a standard JLA adventure, mm. you would obviously be quite surprised to be spending not only so much time with the Ultramarine Corps, but spending so much time with brand new members of the Ultramarine Corps. Yes. Um, and that, but that said, I actually, I, I find, I really like Cyril. I like the time we spend with him. I think he's weirdly enough like a protagonist of this story. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's, you know, in those moments, it's not really a Justice League story, but there's some great Batman stuff. Um, I, you know, if, if, if you told me like, hey, it's a weird adventure featuring Batman and the Knight and also like some D-list superheroes, I'd be like, huh, that's, that is a surprisingly fun story. Um, but yeah, I guess like, in a weird way, it sounds stupid, but my my one uh, the downside to part three is that like you know now the Justice League are on the case, so it's just a, it's just a matter of wrapping everything up, really. Yeah, I quite like that though that the JLA come in and they're able to just deal with it. Oh, everything's yeah. fine and, and done because they are the Justice League. I think that's probably why when this issue came, sorry, when this story came out originally in 2005 over the three months and I bought the individual issues, I didn't really get on with it. Mm. I think because it was billed as JLA, Morrison's back on the JLA, and that's not quite what you get. And also there's all those, these weird big ideas they're throwing in. It's not even really the Ultramarine Corps I remember from the first story I saw them in. It was all new stuff and I was like, I don't know what they're doing here. I don't understand what the point of this is. And obviously now with time revisiting it and and time and more context, I'm like, I get it. I had no expectations going into it again this time. And I was able to just enjoy it for what it was. And for what it was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I agree. I, 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 could, I think Morrison is having fun in this story. Um, I think Morrison's work kind of really shines when they're clearly you know, engaged and excited by the characters they're working with. And I think Morrison has a soft spot for Cyril. Yeah. Uh, and I think that really shows. I I really like the weird, weird, weird setup of, of issue one. Um, it's, it's very off kilter, but I like it a lot. And you can tell also that Morrison just loves Batman because yeah. I, I, I'm flicking back through it now. And I, I think some real highlights are um, a Beryl calling the Batcave. That is a yes. delight. That is a delightful little scene. Um, I I love the tiny little Batman mannerisms that portray him as more of a human than just like a kind of force of nature. Um, yeah, and um, 
yeah, I, I, I like, I just like the concepts. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah, a slightly uneven story, but I, I like it a lot. A lot of fun. Yeah, same. Agreed. And I, I'm glad we revisited it. I really enjoyed, enjoyed doing so. Is this, is this the last Morrison hurrah on JLA, on JLA as we know it? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, they've returned to the team when they've done like guest shots or, or crossovers, uh, event books, things like that. But this, I think, is the end of what started with JLA issue one. Well, quite. And um, there's uh, obviously there's some JLA stuff in Final Crisis. Uh, there is a JLA appearance in um, uh, uh, Batman: The Return of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Of course, that's a very weird incarnation of the League at that point because it is the... Oh, gosh, I can't even remember who the creative team was, but it was around the era where there was that strange Prometheus reappearance. Yes. And uh, you've got, like, uh, one of the Starmen, um, Kongorilla. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't, I can't even remember some of the characters. It's a weird lineup, basically. Yeah, it is. Easily forgotten, I would say. <laughs> yeah to be fair to be fair <laughs> i and i and i know we talked about it before but do you think like are the ultramarine core just kind of dead and gone now do you think anybody's going to do anything with these characters ever again i think it's unlikely unless we ever get to do jla and do it <laughs> our way without the restrictions of continuity <laughs> when we get to do our sequel to morrison's jla that's when they'll come back but that's it the uh yeah god i i it is interesting to me that, like, um, maybe I'm 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 reading too much into this, but uh, you know, Morrison's very much like a, Morrison's got a habit of taking obscure characters or creating new characters, and then elevating them or cementing them or, or doing something really interesting with them. Where I think even with the Ultramarines, their very brief appearance in JLA, they they were, they were kind of interesting. Yeah, and obviously, I think Morrison had a bit of a remit with dc that like they had complete access to the archives they could go and elevate characters back into the mainstream pick out something obscure i think i was kind of one of the seven soldiers of victory things it's like make these characters interesting and then you can hand them over to new creators to do things if they if they want to yeah because i think the the biggest name in seven soldiers was zatanna so yeah yeah it was very obscure and i do wonder whether like I, I, I do feel that like Morrison is one of the few innovators kind of left and mm. you'll often see subsequent creative teams kind of picking up the pieces from something Morrison casually did like 10 years ago. Like, um, oh gosh, I, I didn't like when Bendis took over Justice League, didn't like, there was like a weird Leviathan connection to like Morrison's work on Batman Incorporated. Um. I can't remember. Leviathan is around when I checked out, to be honest, of, yeah. of, of monthly comics. Because um, that's around the time that Amazon killed Comixology. So I don't think I really remember how any of that went, or even if I finished it. So. <laughs> well, I guess I guess the thing, I, I'm not doing a very good job of articulating it, but do you think that either editorial, but both at Marvel and DC, has become less um flexible less adventurous to give people like morrison the power to become truly innovative or you know was morrison always in a special class where they could 
just kind of run wild with very little editorial control. Because I do get the impression that like Morrison comes along, does something wild, and then for the following decade, subsequent creative teams who aren't allowed or can't be as wild are kind of picking up the pieces. I think about how um, Quentin Choir or Kid Omega from New X-Men, yeah. like a lot of the ideas that Morrison threw around in New X-Men, you know, there wasn't really a lot of innovation for a while after that, but people would still kind of pick up the pieces and just basically pick up Morrison's scraps. Well, that's it. I think because right after Morrison, that's when Joss Whedon comes in and does Astonishing X-Men, which I don't think is particularly innovative. It's a lot of fun. Mm, mm. Uh, Whedon's X-Men run, there's there's some really fun, good stuff in it. But it... And he, he did bring back um, Cassandra Nova. Yes, that's true. Uh, yeah. But... Again, he didn't really innovate with the book. Well, yeah, and I, it's, it's the same way that, like, there's clearly a lot of people like us who have a lot of, say, fond memories of Morrison's JLA. I mean, heck, we're doing a podcast about it. Of course we do. Yeah. I just wonder whether, like, Morrison's inventiveness inspired, like, a generation of creators. And when those creators get their chance to kind of take the reins of, say, Justice League... I just wonder whether what's the environment like now? Are they allowed to come in and be their own Morrison and to do and to take the series in a completely radical direction? Or is there more of a, well, let's look back to when the series was last genuinely innovative or radical and let's kind of bring something back from that. Like, I really wouldn't be surprised if Prometheus does return in some capacity because that was, quote unquote, the last golden age of the Justice League. Mm. I mean, not reading monthly superhero comics at the moment i don't want to comment too much i don't really know what's going on with them the bits and pieces i hear i think some creators are maybe given that freedom i feel like jonathan hickman for example mm-hmm. is sort of given that level of freedom at that's Marvel. true um I, I don't know at dc who that could be um i I've, I've not read a i've not read any any of his work but you know i know there's this uh tom tom king yellow yeah. who who seems to be making a bit of a name in DC is a bit of like a headliner. So, you know, so yeah, I, I don't want to be too, I don't mean to be disparaging to new creators. I'm actually trying to be sympathetic. I kind of wonder whether there's less, I don't know, incentive editorially yeah. wise to be innovative now. You kind of like, you want to be cementing the status quo rather than going in a wild direction. And I think it's the the thing we talked about before where the, you know, the movies are what's making the big bucks. So, things need to kind of reflect those perhaps i don't know but you know we are just two grumpy old men who are going (laughs) things were better when we were young (laughs) oh yeah the the important thing to take away here is that things were always better kind of like 15 to 20 years ago (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we're always right and we're never wrong Hey, but PJ, we're, we're, we're nothing if not forward-facing. So what are we going to be talking about next? Well, um, we are going back to the very recent past of 25 years ago. 1998. <laughs> uh, August 1998. And um, we're going back to during the Morrison run on JLA. We're going to go back and have a look at a few of the things that were coming out, a few of the J- JLA miniseries uh, that were running concurrently with Morrison's JLA, so some extra time with with the Morrison team, even if it's not Morrison doing the actual writing. Uh, And the first thing we're looking at is JLA World Without Grown-Ups, issue one. Two-part miniseries, uh, but they are longer issues. Each one was 48 pages, I want to say. 
Uh, and of course, World Without Grown Ups was the series that then was like the prologue to Young Justice. Yes, and um, maybe we'll be exploring or expanding upon uh, a throwaway line from the Morrison Wizard special, where yes. Morrison, in an interview, casually said that they'd had a great idea for a comic called World Without Grown Ups. Yeah. And yet they apparently had nothing to do with making this book. So, hmm, interesting. I'm very intrigued. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've done Googling to try and find out more about how World Without Grown Ups came around, and I'm struggling to find it. So I'll, I'll do more research between now and when we cover it. I want to see how how much of it Morrison had a say in. Yeah, and if anyone out there can can shed any light on this, if there's connective tissue here we've missed. Um, now, again, I if if I don't think it's entirely unreasonable to suggest that like Morrison had the idea, they couldn't fit it into the main series or whatever. Um, it was bouncing about the DC staff room, and someone else was willing to pick it up and run with it. But or maybe Morrison had the idea, and then the editorial went, "Actually, that's a good idea for a team. Ah. So let's lead it into this young." Ju and I loved Young Justice back in the day when it first came out. I was a huge fan. I bought that book every month from start to finish. It's one of the few books I used to have a complete run of. Um, so you know. I'm I'm excited to go back and read World Without Grown Ups again, but yeah, I'm very curious to try and find out how much input Morrison had into that initially. Yeah, I've I've I, I've done my prep. I've got my I've got my trade sitting on the shelf here. I am I am I'm very excited to get started. Yeah, same. Hey PJ, speaking of trades, um, mm. assuming you have the same collected edition of uh, the Ultramarine Corps, um, there's also another story included in it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, JLA Wildcats. Uh, yeah. You know, we we could just keep talking and you know turn the page and dive straight into that. I mean, just just put that episode on again. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, PJ, have we have we exhausted this avenue of pleasure? I think we have. I think we have. Let's let's get ready to go down a different avenue. Yeah, I'm 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 glad we made it and I I'd like to thank everyone for sticking with us. We had a yes. had a few the universe kept conspiring stoppers but we we made it in the end. Yes, agreed. Uh and PJ on that note is there, is there anything you'd like to shout about or promote? Um yeah, my Star Trek podcast I've been struggling with the editing for that recently but I think now my son's going to nursery. I'm starting to find a groove with the editing again. So we have had two weeks of new episodes in a row. As this comes out, one came out last week and another one's coming out this week. So check out The Measure of a Fan on iTunes. We're looking at Star Trek Discovery now and we're having a lot of fun doing so with uh, ah. Matt Troy and Elliot Red. Please do check it out. Elliot Red, who composes, of course, our own theme tune. And uh, I, I guess if, if I was going to shout about anything, um, production is underway on Afterlife Inc. Volume 7. Uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, eternally uh, delayed, but we're finally back on back on the wagon. And if you'd like to see some of the early uh, previews, uh, we've um, I've started posting uh, some kind of sample pages uh, on uh, on my Patreon, which uh, you can find at patreon.com forward slash Afterlife Inc. So yeah, if you're interested, you can go check it out there. There you go. I recommend people do that. You're very kind, PJ, and I recommend that everyone listens to A uh, Measure of a Fan. And um, just just to slip it in there, Measure of a Fan also has a Patreon where you can get video versions of the podcast, completely unedited. I leave all the ums and the big pauses and everything in. 
and you, you get you get to yeah just kind of you know pj doesn't talk about it very often but he always records kind of like uh you know kind of bare chested just pumping iron in the background so if you really want some kind of like <laughs> rippling muscles uh, to accompany your podcast uh, i mean boy are you going to disappoint some people who might go pay for to, to look at me now but <laughs> um i guess uh, i should say a, a massive thank you to uh gav mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork and another massive thank you to uh, the aforementioned elliot red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune justice and pj if we've if we've said everything that needs to be said he said question mark he said could you please see us off in your own unique fashion we did it. We finished the Ultramarine Corps. Oh my God, that took longer than it should have. <laughs> <laughs>